Sometimes life can feel like one big project, constantly trying to put the pieces together. What if I told you it's okay to be a mess? Life is a journey and we must transform ourselves into who we want to become. We start by knowing who we are and with the relentless pursuits of our passion and purpose. How did I do it? With a lot of help from my friends. And we'll talk about all of that right here on The Beautiful Butterfly Project. Intention is a conscious choice from within and the mindful exercising of that choice. Intention is personal activism in alignment with our deepest, most peaceful truth and our highest purpose for our greatest good. It is the conscious creation of a soulful life. Adrian Enns said this. Today, on this episode of The Beautiful Butterfly Project, I am so ecstatic to welcome Debbie Jolie, otherwise known as the Stammering Communicator. And it is that intentional use of that phrase that many will say that it's an oxymoron. But she uses that phrase to demystify the idea that people who stammer or stutter cannot be good at speaking or communicating with an audience. And we'll talk about all that right here on this episode of The Beautiful Butterfly Project. Debbie Jolie is an experienced sales and marketing strategist and business development consultant based in Trinidad and Tobago. She has over 15 years of corporate global experience in sales and marketing in conjunction with over five years of coaching and facilitating clients in Australia, the UK, here in the United States, and the Caribbean. Debbie has worked extensively in technical industries. She has worked in construction and maritime in the Trinidad and Tobago collectively for over 10 years. She has also consulted with firms in distribution, home interiors, academia, utilities, and engineering design. Debbie is also a part-time lecturer and workshop facilitator for the past 14 years at a number of tertiary institutions in Trinidad. She is the holder of two bachelor's degrees, one in marketing and the other in business enterprise. She is also a certified management consultant with a master's degree in management consultancy. She is dynamic. As a business consultant, she helps companies grow by auditing their current sales and marketing strategies, helping them refocus on the areas that really matter, strategies, operations, and people. The Beautiful Butterfly Project welcomes Debbie Jolie to the show. How are you today, Debbie? Hi, I'm great, Nicole. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I am so honored and so excited that we finally got to sit down and do this interview today. I am excited. I'm glad. Well, absolutely. And for the audience that I dubbed the Butterfly Nation, I just want to be transparent in how we met a little while ago. It's been a couple of years now. I had this blog that I started and I was looking for writers and you were so gracious to write a little while for my little bitty blog. And I, and I was just so honored and just so excited that you agreed to do that. And now we are connecting again. <laughs> I was excited to do it. Is it has been a few um, years, and um, again, it was the beginning of me doing a lot of blogs and features and so on. So I was excited to do it. Awesome, awesome. Well, I've already read your bio and 
had an introduction, but I'd like for you to tell the audience a little bit about who Debbie is. Ah, so I am, well, Debbie Jolie, and I hail from the beautiful twin island of Trinidad and Tobago, and that's like the most southern island in the Caribbean. I am a mom of one. I have a 12-year-old boy, and he keeps me <laughs> very busy. And of course, <laughs> professionally, I am a marketing strategist. I just help entrepreneurs and commercial organizations help, help them to kind of refine their sales and marketing strategies. So that's, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. I absolutely love that because especially in this digital era and especially in light of the last year with, you know, the pandemic, you know, a lot of people have been stuck in front of their computers and a lot of people have, you know, been working from home and that's forced a whole new lane for businesses to change their philosophy of how they do things. And it's forced them to be innovative in what they do. And so the first question I'd like to ask is, all of us has this one experience or, you know, a group of experiences that shape us into the uh, person that we are. What was that one experience or moment for you? Oh, it's kind of tough. I should have mentioned this as part of my intro, but I stammered terribly as a child. I couldn't string two words together. And I guess up until now, it still occurs. And if persons are around me long enough, they hear it. So I would say as a child, especially between the ages of, let's say, five to maybe 12, which is like what we would call a primary school or elementary school, I got teased a lot. I mean, I really couldn't string two words together without a fumble. And so I think that for persons who don't stutter, and don't have a, let's say, a speech impairment, they will not understand how important your speech is. You know, every time you open your mouth to speak to colleagues, to speak to family, to speak to a teacher, to speak to, you know, anybody in any situation, you are so conscious of this voice and of this speech. So, so really, I guess that's part of my journey. As an individual, we all have a cross to bear, but that one in particular, it's like my child, it's like my spouse. It's something that doesn't go away and it is teaching me every single day. So I think that has been my biggest challenge in life. Wow, Debbie, you and I have something in common because I too (laughs) am a stammerer. Okay. You know, I went to speech therapy probably from the first till the third grade. Ah. You know, we were living overseas in Germany at the time. And, you know, being in the military, you know, it does pose its challenges. And so whenever, you know, I was in school, you know, I was really shy and I didn't say a whole lot because of this speech Mm -hmm. impediment Mm -hmm. that I had. And it can be terrifying. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I remember in school, I would literally not look at a teacher because I didn't want to be called on in class. So I felt as though if I didn't make the eye contact, they wouldn't call me and I wouldn't have to speak or answer a question or anything. It makes you very self-conscious. 
It really, really does. And hence, you call yourself the stammering communicator. And you say that you use that phrase intentionally, because a lot of people would view that as an oxymoron. Yes, yes. It is intentional now, because now as an adult and spending many years getting into teaching, it is a way to sort of demystify it. It is to defunct it. It's a way to put it on the table so that I could sort of take this thing out of it. So it's no longer Debbie, you know, the six-year-old that is very shy and timid and afraid, but now I'm using this as part of a marketing tool, as part of my platform, as part of my story. And it has worked well because a lot of persons do ask me about it. Wow. And so you use this as your platform and you use it in how you run your marketing strategies and even using it for your own business. And so how do you share that experiences with others, not only individually, but in the business sense? How do you share your experiences? It primarily works, I think, mostly with entrepreneurs because I think entrepreneurs always Many times they face a setback and they at times feel to give up or at times just put a pause. You know, they just put a pause on their business for like a year or two and then, you know, they may come back to term it. This is always my topic. This is always what I speak about. And anytime I get, a you know, an opportunity to speak about it is that we are all faced with challenges. And you have to be willing to put in the work to overcome the challenge. Because Debbie, who started at five years old, it's nothing compared to what it is now. I've been able to nurture it, grow it, and be able to get to a place where I'm comfortable. And so it has gradually improved over the years. It hasn't been a quick fix. I have done things to help train my voice to be more comfortable. And that's what I tell persons in business. Life is always filled with challenges and you have to be able to rise up above the challenges. Oh, you said so much in that (laughs) last statement. You talked about how you've worked to overcome. You've used it as something to build and to gain strength in and also how you are an overcomer. So Mm. I want to unpack a little bit about the process of how you work to turn what others view as an impediment into something that works for you. What was that process like? Did you have any steps that you really put forth? How did you train in order to overcome that? Oh, so throughout what I would call my elementary school or primary school, as we call it here in um, the Caribbean, I kind of always hid from it. I was not the center of um, attention. I would hide away. I didn't want to be seen because to be seen means, you know, you have to talk, you have to speak. And I didn't want that. But getting into what I call secondary school, and again, naturally with my personality, I was a person that always liked music and the arts and, and advertising and mark, 
marketing, which for the most part, persons would say that these are extroverted things. So how can I like these things? But in order to do on them, I have to be able to command my voice. And one thing when I was, I think about 12, we had to do plays in school and I was able to learn particular lines for a particular character. And when we did this in front of, I guess, my, it was, I guess, maybe about 60 or 60 or 70 students. I realized that I could get in front of our audience. I was petrified. But because mm. I knew the lines, it came out seamlessly or rather, right? A little bit. Right. So yeah. I realized that when I know what it is I want to say, I can actually speak without the stutter or without the stammer. So that was a little bit of a discovery. Yeah. What happened then was I would rehearse or over-rehearse a lot of things. So mm. anytime I had to do a presentation, anytime I knew I had to speak, I mean, I would record conversations in my mind in order to be able to really speak, you know? Wow, yeah, and yeah. so that was really yeah. the first, and that was really the first step. And then from that, as I got into adulthood, what I did was I said, listen, I need to be able to command this voice. And every time I'm anxious, I stutter. So where can I get a platform where I will have to speak and where I may have some level of anxiety. And then I got into teaching. I got out into lecturing. So mm. I worked for a long time. And then I would go to, you know, I would go to tertiary schools within Trinidad. And I would have a class. I'll have like a marketing class or a business class. And I would rehearse again. I would rehearse a lot of what I had to say. And in doing so, I realized over time, hey, I could command this voice. So that's what I tell a lot of persons who have a stutter. It's almost like riding a bike. You have to speak. You have to try it out. And so in seeking out things like speaking engagements, I got into teaching. I did plays. Those things forced me to have to speak, but also I was really able to kind of train my voice. And I saw in doing the, these things over the years, it really helped. It really helped to really to grow my voice and to really help with the stutter. So those are the steps that worked for me. Oh, wow. That just helped so many people because when people who have stammering issues or other speech impediments, you know, you just said that you went and did the most extroverted thing, <laughs> which was to speak, which was to teach, which was to do your first play. And in doing your first play, you said that you prepared for it and you memorized the um, lines. And so it came out effortlessly, seamlessly is what you said. And so with that, it sounds to me that in working with individuals and entrepreneurs that you stress preparation Mm -hmm. And you also stress going into places where you're not exactly comfortable. Correct. You have to. You have to yeah. be a little bit uncomfortable to be able to, to stretch yourself, to be able to see, hey, it's yeah. not as bad as I think I'll be able to right, overcome. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. Right. Because I distinctly remember in um in my first couple of years of college and it was in this class and we had to do a report and I didn't prepare. I was running around an hour before the class doing research and got up in front of the class and was getting ready to speak. And Debbie, when I say I struggled through mm-hmm. that presentation, mm-hmm. I stammered through it. And the teacher, I, I can see him in the back. He was willing me along, you know, because he can see how uncomfortable I was. You know, I ended up making a decent grade, but I felt from that moment on, I would never be in that position again. Yes. Never, never be. Totally agree. Actually, that's one yeah. of the reasons why I actually try to get to meetings and to anything I have to do proposals for any big presentation. I really do try to get there early. So mm. I scan the place. I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm, my presentation is loaded up. I walk the space so that I am comfortable. And that preparation is indeed important. Yep. So important. You know, all of us have a mantra, a statement, an affirmation that we may repeat to ourselves on a daily basis. I know that I have mine. What is your affirmation or your mantra that you live your life by? Oh, I have uh, now your president, Joe Biden, said this a couple of years ago. And to me, it's more of a philosophy than a mantra. It's, it's he says, uh, Rules for happiness. I'm not sure if this is a direct quote from him or this is something that he he has heard, but he says rules for happiness, something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. Mm, Repeat that. Repeat that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's rules for happiness, which is something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. Wow. And I think I heard it maybe, I don't know, about four years ago, he was on an interview and I heard him say it and I ran to get <laughs> a notepad <laughs> to write it down because I thought it was so conclusive because that's what it is. First of all, I believe that as human beings, we need to have a purpose. We need to do something. I find that when persons don't have direction and purpose, especially young persons, it's when they get into trouble. Mm, Yeah. You need to find that something to do. And we go through life, we will be in love. We'll be in love with, you know, your spouse, your your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you'll have children, you have family. And love is important as a human to be able to be a part of your global family, really. And then that's something... To hope for, I love that because we live in it now, but we always have dreams and goals and where we want to go. And that is also a driver. So I think it's like an all-encompassing quote. And about three or four years, I latched on to that. And I said, this is what I like and this is what I want. And he said it. It's sort of your rules for happiness. That is so amazing. And because... Joe Biden is a stammerer himself. Exactly. And and that just gives others hope because you're successful in your business and how you help others. And then you had someone like Joe Biden that rose to the, you know, office that he is in now. 
that you don't have to be ashamed, that you don't have to let it limit you. You know, I'm real big on not having self-limiting beliefs. And often our self-limiting beliefs, they come from our environment and who we surround ourselves with. So when you talk about you overcoming and continuing to work at getting better, who is your greatest influence? Gosh, there's so many persons who help you and change your direction and path. And I, I mean, I've had really great bosses in my career. I've had some awful ones, both, both, <laughs> both with teaching moments, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> They both teach you, you know, things um, to do and what not to do. Right. You know, I've had great support. I think the biggest thing, though, for me is maybe I would say both my mother and my sister, because as mentioned, I have a 12 year old, I have a 12 year old boy and I have. Oh, I've done a lot in my career uh, from very young and I've traveled. I've come to the States and Latin America to do work and I've been away, you know, three, four days at a time. And I would say earlier on in my career, didn't have as much work-life balance. Right, and right. therefore, my mother and my sister have always been an excellent support. So they have always said, okay, go, go ahead. My sister has always been a support for me. Even when I left my corporate career and started my own business, she was there. She was there. She was helping me. I was not paying her and she, <laughs> and she was helping me. Wow. So they are my biggest influencers. They are my biggest support. I've been blessed to be able to not be worried about my son when I would work and then I would have my lecturing class in the afternoon and I would come home at eight o'clock or eight thirty. I knew that he was always okay. And so I'm very glad and very grateful and blessed that I do have my I still have my mother and my sister, and they are my, I think, my biggest influence and support. That's amazing because as women, yes. <laughs> women who are in business, women who have busy executive jobs that any type of job a woman has, I know this for sure, it is hard to have a work-life balance. Yep. I don't know who said that a woman could have it all. I think that is a misnomer. Yes. I think that you can have some things, but you can't have it all and do all things well. (laughs) Yeah. I think, yeah, TDJX has a great expression that I also live by, which is, he says that in life, you are like a juggler and you are throwing up in the air. It'll be like your family. It'll be your business. It'll be your spirituality. And all these things. And he says, all you have to do is not drop the same ball. Oh, yeah. All the time. So that's Mm. a philosophy I live by as well, because it has to be a little bit of a balance and it is a give and take. So at times when, you know, work is very, very well, then your family does have to step in and support. And, you know, you, you have to kind of balance that. And at times you have to kind of close off your job at times and kind of focus and kind of really spend that quality time as well. 
So I love that. He says, you know, you're juggling and that is it. You're juggling a lot of things, but just don't keep throwing down the same ball all the time. I love that. Don't drop the same ball all yep. the time mm-hmm. when you're juggling. Mm-hmm. I love that. I yeah. love that. <laughs> and so having said that, you know, you gave some great insight in to who inspires you, your mother and your sister and some different life philosophies that you live by. What do you say drives you and what is your passion? Oh, what drives me? I think this comes a little bit from being a child that stutters. I think I have always been sort of introspective. I'm a constant thinker, but the challenge itself made me always try for excellence. So I'm a person that will always try to do better, to be better. And in every aspect, it doesn't always have to be work-related. I mean, now we went through, (laughs) we're still going through a little bit of this pandemic and I put on weight. And since towards the end of last year, I kept saying, you have to go back in the gym. You have to go back in the gym. I made up my Mm -hmm. mind. I made up my mind this year and I said, okay, you're getting into the gym. And that was the whole, the whole point. And the point is I'm not going crazy with, I need to lose particular weight. I need to eat these things. I just need to stay consistent. Girl, and and yes. I will, I will eventually get, <laughs> I will eventually get a pattern. I will begin to drink more water. I'll begin to eat healthier. But the initial goal is just get back in the gym and stay consistent. And that's the only thing I do on a morning when I say, oh gosh, I don't want to get up. I said, Mm-mm, just go, just yep. get up, just go, just get up, just go. So it doesn't matter how I feel. It is about the action part. Wow. And that's what I do. It's always about trying to be better. So it's not trying to be perfect. It's not trying to be first. It's not trying to to have everything. It's just trying to stick with it. And I think that perhaps is even more difficult than, <laughs> than some things. But that's my aim. You want some things, stay consistent in what it is you do. Okay, I am I'm writing that down because I'm going to quote you, Miss <laughs> Jolie, and you may see that later today on Instagram in um, some form or fashion, and I'm going to put you as the credit on that <laughs> because awesome. I love that. Be- yeah, because yes. it doesn't matter how you feel. No. You just have to go, yep. and consistency is the key. Yep. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Yep. So you have a business. And you help other, not only entrepreneurs, but you help other companies. And mm-hmm. and I was looking on your website and I was looking at some of your services. And one thing that really struck me is that you talk about helping business identify exactly where they are lacking in their strategic business Mm -hmm. or marketing plan. So talk to us a little bit about what you do in that area. So I think for a lot of companies, you have an idea of maybe companies go through a lot of things and you might have a new company just starting out and even companies that are 30 and 40 years old, they sometimes hit a plateau. And so one of the things I do is really what I would call like a sales and marketing audit, which is to come in to audit your 
activities to look at those things that are affecting primarily your customers and what are those low-hanging fruits that mm. come out of the audit that you can immediately change in your business to change that top line because a lot of companies complain hey they don't have enough sales they complain about the sales people they're not aggressive enough but sometimes there are things within the organization that if they were to change or tweak a little bit they would see a, a difference in the performance of the organization so that's part of the audit the audit is really to look at those systems and the way in which they operate and how that impacts the customer. That's really amazing because it's focusing on making sure that you are working to meet the needs of the customer. And a lot of times businesses do lose ground with customers in their messaging. Yes. And I know messaging is so important to a business. And for those of you that don't know Miss Jolie, she is on LinkedIn. We're going to get all her information at the end, but she has great content on Instagram. And I just see you putting out all of this content. So how important is personal branding when it comes to an entrepreneur? Oof. I always say, though I don't believe in a silver bullet or, or there's just one answer or one thing to do, but I think that your personal brand can bulletproof your career. Whether you are a professional that works within an organization, a manager, etc., or if you are an entrepreneur, your personal brand can really change the trajectory of your career. In 2019, I did a few Caribbean speaking engagements, some of which were supposed to kind of roll into 2020 and then we had the pandemic. But Uh I I realized that uh, in developing my brand, as much as I do as a salesperson, as an entrepreneur and as a salesperson and reaching out, my brand is helping to give me a level of visibility. It is helping to create that know, like, and trust. And so that all those those opportunities, I went to a beautiful island called Monstrat that has less than 6,000 persons. It's right here in the Caribbean, beautiful, beautiful mm. island. And I got that because, again, the individual heard me speak and just reached out to me. And she and I are good, good friends now. So your personal brand, I think, you don't forget that as an entrepreneur and even as a professional, whether you are an accountant, an engineer, a project manager, HR professional, it doesn't matter. When you begin to build your brand, you begin to build your brand on online, you control the narrative and you mm. can set yourself up to be that subject matter expert. Persons begin to see you, they know you, they like you, they trust you, and you don't know what opportunities could really come out of it. So I fully endorse it and I fully tell persons, hey, it doesn't matter where you are. You need to look to really look at how that can impact you and that can help your business. I absolutely love it because you mentioned something that you are in charge of your personal branding. You are in charge of what you put out there. But, you know, I know that I struggle sometimes because 
a lot of times when we start these businesses and you're building a brand, you struggle to put content out there because you don't know what to write. Yes. So how do you advise people and help people write their content for their social media? Right. I think a big part of it for me, and I tell persons, it is one is planning. A lot of other persons, you know, they just they go, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to write. But you need to plan it out. So all my content, for instance, for this week was already planned and is already automated. And so we'll hit the different platforms on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, etc. So I don't really have to bother about it. All I have to do during the day is really go, go on and check it out and engage with persons who are liking my content. So that's one thing I don't think entrepreneurs spend enough time planning. The other mm. thing is you, you need to break down what it is you do in particular grouping. So for instance, I talk about marketing. I talk about personal branding. I'll talk about my marketing audit. I'll talk about a business planning and marketing plans. And what I would do is each of those topics, I would typically say, okay, this is what I will do for that week. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, et cetera, I will create content around that one topic and we can schedule that out. So therefore, if you have four, five, or even six different types of products or services, you essentially have content for five or six weeks. Mm -hmm. It is just about planning it out and having a strategy. And again, I believe in also the third one or the third tip I would say is that you can repurpose things. Uh, yeah, yeah. A blog could become a three-part series in a content as part of your content. You know, mm -hmm. a video could be a video or even, you know, a podcast or even, a, you know, a piece of a podcast could actually go for content. So sometimes persons don't do, also don't spend enough time in repurposing their content. I recently sent a, a whole lot of, not a whole, whole lot, about four or five videos to a videographer. And I told him, I just need you to change up some of the images within the videos. So it's going mm. to be the same videos that I've put out before, but it's going to look a little bit different. And I'm going to reuse the videos because the content and the material is still relevant, it's still practical, it's still applicable. So there are lots of things you can do, but trying to plan it out in the beginning would definitely help for sure. And using the automated tools. There are lots of tools that would automate the content and have it schedule it to go out on your various platforms. I absolutely love that advice because those, because those are things <laughs> that I wish I'd known early on, yes. you know, because, oh, because those are things you find out through trying this and then finding error in it and yep. then looking at different individuals and what they do. But what I found is that you have to do what works for you. Yes. You know, because I may not have the best graphics or, you know, do great videos because I struggle with that, but I know that there are other you know, services that on other platforms that people may offer that can do that for me. Exactly. So planning and repurposing. I love that advice, Ms. Jolie, that yes. you are giving out all of these beautiful nuggets. Mm -hmm. I absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> we are all created and put on this earth for a purpose. I, you know, discovered my purpose probably 
right before I turned 40. Yes. <laughs> it took me yes. a while to figure that out. Yes. You know, you know, I am now 48 and I am just now hitting my stride in mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But what do you think that you were created for? What is your purpose? Oh, this is <laughs> this is a big question. <laughs> I think it has uh, several parts for anybody. I think uh, I have a strong spiritual belief. So, you know, uh, that is underpinning all what I do. But absolutely, I realize that my life has in some ways paralleled my mother's. My mother was always a person that took care of her children and other people's kids. And literally, I could remember from small, she would, uh, she would drop the neighbor's kids um, to school the same time that she would drop us and she would be squeezing all of us in a car. Of course, we can't do those things. <laughs> you can't do those things anymore. Right. She, she would do um, that. It would have children whose parents would, you know, they am um, work and they would ask, you know, can you just, you know, look at my kids before I come home? So she would have us and she would have them and they would have to do homework just like us. She took care of my cousins. My uncle was going through a divorce and he lived in States. He lived in, in New Jersey and my cousins were here for a few months. Well, she took care of them. She always seemed to take care of children and to always teach. Mine's is a little bit different, but it's from mm-hmm, the, it's mm-hmm. from the perspective of teaching. I got into teaching. Wow. I got into teaching as an adult, as a very selfish thing as well, because I stuttered. And so I said I needed something to command my voice. But this is now a more than 14 year career where I have taught from babies. I mean, well, not babies, maybe like five or six. I've taught secondary school, given like lessons, and I've taught tertiary education, bachelor's up to master's degree. I believe in education. I believe in self-development and particularly for women. So I am, it has always brought a connection with people so that people come and they tell me their stories. They tell me what's going on in life after class. They sit and they talk. So I believe the teaching, I think it's an extension of my mother. She literally took care of them you know, and now I really teach. And I think the networking part of it has given me so much a level of fulfillment that I didn't, I didn't really realize that I would have gotten because I got into it to say, okay, I need to control my voice, so and so and so. But it has evolved. It has evolved to persons who have been my students and who are now lifelong friends. So I think that is at least part of my purpose here because people always reach out to me they ask for advice and that has just evolved I, and I don't think that was the intention but I have been a, a supporter a lot of persons the persons have changed my life because they they have been in my life but the teaching part was the the tool or the metric really for that to happen that is so good gosh gosh finding purpose and teaching yeah and taking that cue from your mother and how she was essentially the neighborhood mom. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she she took care of everyone. And I think 
people don't realize the importance of that. I can speak for here in the States that we've become so far removed from that, mm-hmm. where our kids don't even know our cousins and, yes. and we don't spend enough time at grandma's house because we're so spread out mm-hmm. and because life has just become so busy. So I completely, completely identify with what you said. Mm-hmm. I changed my perspective as well because my son spends quite a lot of time with his grandparents and I think that keeps him a little more grounded. You know, my father has ducks. He'll go and he'll help him out with these ducks. My dad loves birds. And I think that extended family, we don't realize how much we need it. And I'm, I think of myself as a modern person, right? And okay, you mm-hmm. can do it yourself and these, these, these things. But I think my son is a much more grounded individual because he has that extended family. Right. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's amazing. And now here on the Beautiful Butterfly Project, you know, we always, have a few questions that are, you know, I ask, you know, different guests that come on and, and I'd like to ask you, mm-hmm. and these are just questions that will help the Butterfly Nation just, you know, kind of get to know you a little bit better. Right. So if your personality were a color, what color would it be? That's very easy. It's, it has to be purple. <laughs> it has to be purple. I love that color too. <laughs> Tell me why. Tell us why. Purple, but I love that color. <laughs> as a child and if you look back at any of my photos as a child i have like a lavender sweater and it's varying shades of purple my mother said there was a purple dress i remember i had a purple and white stripe dress i don't know what it is about the color i love it even up to today i have you know i love purple you know so i, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> i love that color yep mhm it's such a great color, mm-hmm. all different hues and all different shades. And I can attest that some of your social media postings, like you are wearing a shade of yes, purple. Yes, I do. <laughs> so, so I am a fan, a huge fan. <laughs> what is your favorite word? Oh, my favorite word. It changes. Okay. I ask my son what that I say, say a lot and he says, I say true, true. Which is really, which is really to say, really is really to say, really. Like if I mm-hmm. discover anything new, I say, wow, true, true. Like you know, it's like a light bulb. So oh, maybe yeah. that I didn't really realize I did that. <laughs> so maybe that true, true. That's that's my new expression, my most used expression. I love it. True, true. <laughs> I love it. If you had one day left here on Earth, what would you spend it doing? One day left on earth, what would I spend it doing? I live on an island. We love the beach. Um, Maybe that, maybe if I really think about it as my last day, I would spend it with my family, my son. I would do that. I'm a big foodie. So maybe the last day Mm -hmm. has to be filled with some good food. (laughs) I love it. Me too. I like all the stuff that perhaps you shouldn't be eating. So, you know, I like <laughs> I like a nice ice cream. I like chocolate ice cream. I like, you know, I like Italian food. I like pasta. You know, I like potatoes. 
<laughs> oh, girl, I think we are kindred spirits because you just named everything that I like. Everything I eat those yes. things. Yes, yes, yes. So, so it so it might be it might be one of those things or a combination if I could fit them all into one day. Yes. Yeah. Oh wow. And how would you advise? the Butterfly Nation on living a triumphant life? Wow. I would say, I think as individuals, we tend to, sometimes we tend to live in our own space, not re-realizing as people that we are more alike than we are different. We have challenges. We all face challenges as individuals. And I think if you live in a space with a little more empathy, and live in a mm. space giving persons more grace, live in a space where you see the glass as half full and not half empty, I think you begin to attract those things in life. And so I'm a big believer. I always tell my son, I never like to hear him say, oh my gosh, I can't do it. I said, don't say that. I said, right. you can do it. You need to take a little bit more time, have a little bit more patience. You mightn't get it now. I say, I'm not upset with you. All I want you to do is just keep trying. Just don't give up. And I think that mindset has given me a sense of contentment and happiness. And I think persons who are not happy or not contented are those that see the glass as half, as half empty and don't have the empathy and compassion. I think those are virtue skills that you need to kind of develop to be able to see life in a much more positive way. I absolutely love that. Love that. Miss Debbie Jolie, the stammering communicator. It has been my complete honor to have you here on the Beautiful Butterfly Project. So glad that we were able to do this. And if you would tell the Butterfly Nation where we can find you. Oh, you can find me all over social media. So you can just look up Debbie Jolie. I am on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. And you can also look me up on my website, www.debbiejolie.com. Absolutely love it. And in your final words, I would just like to say, command your voice. It has been a pleasure, Ms. Jolie. Thank you so much. I, I'm so appreciative. I'm so glad we got to reconnect. This was absolutely awesome. It has been awesome. And that's all we have on this episode of The Beautiful Butterfly Project. If you are interested in being a guest or learning more, please visit our Facebook page at The Beautiful Butterfly Project Podcast. Or email the beautiful butterfly projects at innovativebutterfly.com. See you again soon as we take this amazing journey together on the Beautiful Butterfly Project.